0: I'm Simon Uma and this is Grilling, a podcast brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues in which I speak to some of our best-known chefs about their passion for food, what started them along the culinary path and why they keep going. We also explore the practical side of cooking both indoors and out with a few tips thrown in for good measure which you can hopefully put to good use in the kitchen or on the barbecue. Among those who've already joined me on the podcast are Ken Hom, Angela Hartner, Nadia Hussain, the Hairy Bikers and Tom Kerridge. But today... We're grilling Gizzy Erskine. Gizzy worked as a body piercer in Camden before training at Leith School of Food and Wine, where she was constantly top of the class. She has since worked in restaurants, opened pop-ups and written best-selling books. The latest for these is called Restore and is chockerful of ethical recipes. Gizzy, welcome. So you and I have known each other for... I was trying to work it out yesterday. I reckon I've known you for about 19 years.
1: I'd say that at least. That's so good. Nobody really recognises me from way back then. Well, you know but that
0: when you when you were working as a home economist.
1: Yeah, I, indeed. It was either at Good Food or it was one of the Good Food shows or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was
0: Good Food Live on UK TV. Yes, it food. And I, rem- I remember, is. I genuinely remember the first day that I met you because, I mean, I know that the whole thing about your kind of image, which we'll come on to later on, Almost became a bit of a bugbear for you, mm. but I remember you were just so striking and so. And <laughs> I can say this because we're friends. Yeah. Loud,
1: loud. <laughs> There's definitely, yeah, I'm not a shy one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we've known each other for a long time, and I've watched that evolution of you, which has been joyous to watch. Yeah. But before we get onto that, let's uh, let's go back to sort. So your upbringing. You you travelled around quite a bit when you were a kid.
1: Yeah, I mean, not as much as my mum did. You know, we were kind of. Uh, I grew up in in well. God, it, it is quite complicated i was born in london Yeah. within about 2 weeks i was up in scotland which was actually where i'm from i'm actually a scot but before that my mum had traveled all around the world and was really like just loves it sort of food and and i don't know just like culture she's just always like she like trying to find culture in like all sorts of places so she made sure that we were all well traveled i guess
0: what's the family background then <sighs> what, what what have you got apart from apart from you and your mum
1: um, so there's me, my two sisters. I've got one one each side, I'm the middle one.
0: Yeah. Which explains a lot. Yeah.
1: Um, my big sister is uh, her name's Henrietta, Henny, we all call her. She's a mum to my niece and nephew, Edie and Chilto, and like the most phenomenal mum. Like this is that she works harder than I could ever imagine. And I'm like slog my guts out. And then my little sister Cora, who's in advertising, and also a mum to um Beckon.
0: All right, so that's different. so, yeah, so, when, you, so when you it. were growing up then, so, yeah. so your mum wanted to imbibe Im- culture into you, did that also come with food?
1: Totally. I was always, I think from an early age, I sort of recognised I was a bit of a narcissistic person inside me who just loved getting praised for eating or cooking. You know, I could see the value of what cooking did on other people, you know, because my mum was a brilliant cook. So she, you know, it was always, and also like helping her trying things because my sisters didn't eat like the, in the same way that I do, like not, they they like food, Yeah. but you know, I mean, they're a bit There's a big difference, isn't there? Yeah. Between
0: people who eat and people who like food.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Like for example, they don't eat fish or uh, game or offal. Whereas even when I was a kid, you know, like kidneys and mash was like one of my favourite things I would have asked for. So it's. That's weird. I know I fucking love awful. I really love it. I don't that's know what. Really weird. Yeah. As a kid, that's weird. a kid, weird. apparently, when I was two years old, the first time I was ever ever able to ask for off the menu, I asked for smoked salmon and chips. Um, and then we, then my mum, I don't know, like she was always trying different things from her youth. She'd gone to France and then she'd travelled loads. So already, when everyone was eating there, like getting excited about pizzas and certain pasta dishes, I'd be eating like a uh, pad thai or. Um my mum my mum's a brilliant Thai Thai cook, you know, because we that's where she ended up living. Yeah. Yeah. And so I and I was definitely the kid with the smelly lunchbox, you know. <laughs> I really was. You know, anything it was either like leftovers, Yeah. which I'd just been mortified by because all my friends, even if they brought their food in, it was sandwiches. And my mum would just plonk in a bit of what we had the night before. And I'd just be like, Mummy But did you oh, so does did you like this. that then?
0: Because I, I know when I was growing up, when I was when I was young. I didn't want to be different in any way, shape, or form. No, absolutely. Kids, you want to be like everybody else. I would
1: have killed for a uh, Marmite and butter sandwich. For yeah, that's, I would have killed for it. And I actually used to do food swapping with Got one girl who used to look at my food with envy, and like, like every now and then I'd be able to have her food, which was. But she, you know, she just didn't get it, and she's like, "No, this is just how I was brought up. This is how you're being brought up."
0: Is your mum outgoing? Is your is your mum like you? Does she crave yeah. attention?
1: I don't crave attention. That's not fair. I really don't I am actually like accidentally like this. Okay. All
0: right. I'll, I'll give you that. I mean, yeah. I, I'll rephrase it. Yeah. I'm
1: not I'm not a you know, I definitely have a huge personality, but I also have like extreme ADHD. And um I, you know, I'm I'm just like hyper the whole time. But it's not it's not necessarily like meant in a way that no
0: sorry i i think i think i did you a disservice there Bloody i mean you, you can't help but attract attention is probably a there better way to go
1: saying. i can handle that yeah um yeah so no my mum's not like that at all i mean she, she was a model and actress as yeah she's a very beautiful woman very bohemian upbringing like her mum was um edinburgh and she'd gone to art school and then uh kind of got classic art school sort of ideas where she ended up being a um, a monk. She she got into China, Chinese uh, Buddhism and she became a monk and then she went to work in a commune. And then she came back and she was into spiritualism and had started to, I don't know, like be a clairvoyant, I guess. So that was my mum's background was, was very much that, which was quite unusual.
0: It's funny, isn't it? Because the thing that I've loved so much about doing the podcast is that you find out these little snippets of kind of people's, backgrounds and we're all shaped by our environments mm. and our experiences but also what you'd ever realize as a kid is or you, you just accept it your background is your background yeah so now you say oh, no. well wow, that's kind of quite amazing but yeah it's just your background
1: it, it was i mean i must say you can't not know you're from bohemia like that's you just can't yeah. not know my life was completely weird and i was very conscious of it being weird but then at the same time you know Looking at my mum's friends, all of her friends and all the kids, they might not have been the kids I was sitting next to at school, but I still had other friends that I grew up with that were in that scene yeah. anyway, in that situation, should I say, anyway. But then it's like, yeah, it is It is kind of unusual. We've definitely, like, she's made three children that are all very noticeable as we should say
0: that's a very you know? <laughs> nice that's a, that's a very nice word i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna write that down yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna use that in, fe- in future interviews all right so so let, let's yeah. let's talk food then when you're growing up so so you've said that you sort of helped your mum doing stuff mm. when did you start cooking for other people professionally or like no, no just 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 up because like you know i i always like to kind of cook probably when i was about sort of 10 11 yeah i would kind of like i would make things at home for for the family and did you start young?
1: Yeah, I did. So my mum, her main job was in Thailand. So she was away probably about 70% of the year. And I was a fucking, well, I'm going to say it now. I was a fucking awful child. Like I was, I was a you know, I was a street punk. I was doing far too many drugs. I was out being like, everyone who came to look after us, I'd end up, they'd, they'd leave. How old are you at this point then? I mean, For 14, 15. Wow. Yeah. Proper, proper little street punk. Psychability, actually. I don't know. Like I'd never had anyone to really sort of control that situation because in that my mum's upbringing, that just wasn't a thing, you know. The more I talked to my mum about it, the more I realised how actually much madder her side of her upbringing was than mine. But mine was still absolutely crackers. Yeah. So she would go off to Thailand and in the end, just literally had, I think by the time I was about 16, she'd just leave wads of money around the house and go off for months on end and I'd bring up my little sister. And it was with my, with my big sister. Yeah and i had to cook you know so i i found like my first um like duke of edinburgh awards things like you know when you uh-huh. give yourself your own credits i reckon i must have been about 15 and it's like i cook all the meals in my house yeah. um and i have to look after my little sister And i'm just like that's actually not on <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. me and my mum have a, a big issue about this whole thing but but we've kind of i don't know it's it's, it's very interesting how that key moment it's probably defined like me cooking professionally forever yeah and it was simply the way i learned how to cook was my mum would be away and we'd bond every night because she taught me through how to cook some of the dishes that she did so we're on the phone and she'd be like right you do this and you chop yeah. like this you just i already had a lot of base skills anyway yeah and then i'd give it to my sisters and they would both be like you're amazing it's
0: delicious And did Thank they cook as so well or, or, or did you take on that role i took
1: on that role but it, honestly, for my my ego, it was like I, this was the moment where I knew that doing something to please someone yeah. else was, like, going to be the thing. And it did, it did breed a little narcissism. So, so you
0: so you said that, you know, you, you're you a street punk and you're out kind of misbehaving, to put it mildly. Mm. So what was happening educationally then?
1: Well, look, my, my father died on my first GC- GCSE. Right. So on, wow. actually on the day. But yeah. I don't think I had plans to do them anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I was that much of a little nightmare. So I was a real terror and I would go to school, but I was doing drugs at school and I was like, I was a real terror. I yeah. was uncontrollable, I think it's fair to say. So
0: then you became a piercer.
1: Yeah. So then I, one of my boyfriends back then, he was very good friends with my first real boss, which a guy called Grant Dempsey, who owns Cold Steel in Camden. And he is one of the best guys of all time. He scooped me up. Uh, I did an apprenticeship for three years where he taught me everything. It was like being at school but doing something I wanted to do. Right. Um, I feel like we miss apprenticeships now.
0: Huge time. I, I mean, I think they're coming back, but yeah, like, I agree with you. Everyone
1: says they're coming back every year. I've never, yeah. I still don't see them. Yeah. I hope they do come back. Yeah. Because it's just, it's, it is exactly that. It's like giving you that one thing, that role that you you actually have to really care enough about to be able to move on. I don't know. It's quite... I don't know. For me, it's a better form of ed- uh, education. You're actually getting something. That did that, Did it also
0: do? Was it also double edged? It was a great education. something that you wanted to do. What then happened about your rebellious side? Because you had responsibility. Did it calm that a little bit? No. Oh really?
1: <laughs> I don't think I don't, don't think it's ever been that calmed. I, I went out with someone for eight for ten years, and when I was with him, yeah, it calmed for a bit because it, I it had to <laughs> because he yeah. didn't act like that. So yeah, sorry. With the with education, I just. You know, I actually, when I was at body piercing, I, I went out and I got myself enrolled in every course I could. I wanted to do it so well. This guy had taken me under his wing yeah. and he was so detail driven. And for me, that was the most fascinating thing. And like, for, for example, just when someone does a tiny investment in you, and I try to do this to people who work for me now. But, you know, I kept squinting. He's like, I think you need glasses. So he went out and got me a pair of glasses and it was fine. You know, then I could do this job. And then it was just, we did, then I took courses in anatomy and physiology. I did an actual degree, a, uh, bloody, hell, I can't remember what it's called anymore. When you cook, when you do that at home, Open University, Open University, yeah. that's it. In, in anatomy and physiology, yeah. I did like every course I could put, get my hands on that was related, even re- remotely, to piercing. Even wow. if it was about anthropology or anything like that. I took myself off from the age of fifteen years old, and actually was really invested in this one thing. So it wasn't like I couldn't do it. You know, it was just it had to be done my way. And I feel like that's transformed into into food.
0: Yeah. So do, do, I mean, you, you know, I want to talk about your ADHD a little bit later on because you got diagnosed sort of quite later on in your life. Mm. But do you think you also have a, a very obsessive personality?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like if I if I found my tech. Tick- Back when I was a kid, it would be like cats. Still is a bit cats, I'll honest. Um, <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, I, or hamsters or whatever. I I'd, I'd need to know everything about it. Right. Like I've got, if my, my mastermind subject would be sharks, like, and I still have, like I was out with Fergus Henderson talking about the eating patterns of a, a Zambezi river shark. It was really weird. And every, I knew everything. It just came back. Wow. So it was really, I think that obsessive personality will, has definitely gone in to everything that I set my mind to. All
0: oh, right. So that, that, I mean, that sets us up nicely. So, so your body piercing, you're enjoying it. You're obsessively enjoying it. So when did the change come to say, right, I want to kind of get involved with food from a professional level?
1: You, you said like how had then the progression of how I was cooking from being at home changed in that I suddenly started, I moved out, I moved out really young as well. I was thinking I was about 17 and I got, uh, my own place, and I started having dinner parties, and no other kids were doing that. Yeah, and I just loved it. I would go to bed every night with a cookbook. Mostly, it was like, uh, like really technical cookbooks, like uh, Louis Gastronome or, oh God, you know that just the th- the things that when you're when you're 17 years old, you probably wouldn't be doing. Yeah, and I used to sleep on them because like, <laughs> I because I believed that they'd impart all of their powers to me. I mean, it was completely bonkers. That's very much my grandma, um, <laughs> and. I don't know. I just loved reading. I loved cooking. I loved evolving a skill. It was something that I got real kicks out of. I, in my head at that point, work was work. And then I'd like get this lovely hobby that I was doing. I hadn't even considered that it could be my career. But then I guess I was piercing for a long time. And it, I saw the industry start to change. I was doing that for about seven, eight years. By that time, remember, seven, eight years, I'm still only 21, 22. Yeah. And then I decided to... Do you know Will Ricker? Yes. He owns uh, e and all of that. I bumped into Will and I told him I wanted to cook freshly and he was like, come and work with me. So he put me in E&O uh, with um, Ian Pengeli. Yeah. And I just cooked there for about, si- I started cooking. I don't know, I can't, even, I can't remember. So I did a stagiaire, which went on for about six months. Yeah. At which point they all said, yep, yeah, brilliant. Now it's time to go to catering school. So I did. So I went to the Leith School of Food and Wine with a tiny inheritance that I had. Um
0: how long was the the Leiths course? Because I mean that has such an amazing reputation.
1: It's a, it was a year. And it was yeah. the best year of it's the best thing I ever did, for sure. I mean, I, I had two options really. I was broke, I was I was squatting at the time, you know. Right. But I did have this tiny inheritance, which was a privilege in itself, but it was for like only for like property or like this. And I sort of managed to beg my mum to give it to me to do this course. And it's expensive. It's a private school, yeah. you know. And everyone who goes there is, uh, I, I it's fair to say, I don't think this is being a dick, but it's supported by a partner or a parent. Yeah. Or has made some money and they're taking a year out to do something that they, you know, have done themselves. That probably been more like
0: yeah. our age now. I know so many people like yourself who've been through Leeds mm. and they have succeeded. It almost seems like yeah. if you go there and you give it your heart and soul, you will make a decent career in catering.
1: Well because what they do is it's not just about the cookery. They also set you up to be a, ca- a caterer. Like essentially they, t- they they set you up to find your role in the in this uh in this world. And I'd wanted to write. When I went there under pretense that I was like I think I like I'm liking kitchens and it definitely I want to have them in my career a bit but I know that this isn't what I want to do per se at that point. So I was really trying to find out how to be a cookery writer. There was no courses on that at that stage, and there was nothing, and I was like, "This gobby little, you know, twenty-two year old who's like, yeah, 'Yeah, I've got something to say about food.'" And I mean, now I look at all the young people, and I'm like, "You've got nothing to say. You've got to sit down and listen and learn." Like everyone said to me, "Yeah," and i But it's funny, like I, the perception of this, like really, you know, I, I, I felt like I had some unique visions, which I think I probably did. I definitely think I've taken food in a more cool. Yeah,
0: um, I think you have to have belief, don't you? I think that you know, even if now you look back as a, as an older human being and go, Wow, what was I thinking? That's that's what should happen. You know, yeah. you should be you should be driven by passion. You should be driven by kind of self belief and thinking that you're you're thinking things that nobody's ever thought, and that, yeah. that's what that's what makes you the person you are.
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm giving myself a bit of a hard time about that. But yeah, that is essentially, you know, I, I saw, I was, I saw food through the eyes of a young person traveling around and trying new flavors and integrating, like blending flavors and integrating new cookery techniques because nobody had really considered the science progressing with the access to ingredients. For me, that I found that whole uh, dichotomy really interesting. Yeah. So I was doing this course and I was like militantly learning how to cook in their way, but just thinking this is ridiculous. I know how I'm going to do this when I leave. Do you know what I mean? It's like little details like that. There were it's weird confidence.
0: But that skill set that they give you, you must look on that back on that now and go, okay, for the way in which you create food now, yeah. that has given you the technical ability. Yeah. But to that, do it.
1: yeah, I think that's the thing is without that, without the technical ability, I couldn't uh, mock the technical ability. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of and I'm not even mocking it because obviously there's things that I I feel so like passionately about which is just simple basic cooking you know and obviously those techniques are imperative i think it's just i don't know it's an amalgamation of different things and
0: did you keep working at e and o right the way through your so, time at-
1: so e and i was there for about six months yeah then i went to i, I did the kind of classic stagio spots where i went i was at royal Hospital road i was at oxo tower um when they had a star and where else did i go God, i went low oh at the eagle um, so the Eagle in
0: Farringdon Yeah I love that, that pub so if, you've, if you've never been Listeners if you've never been To that pub It's sort of the origin Really of kind of gastro really is But in a beautiful way yeah. Not in the kind of way That we sort of see them now It was you know That whole thing about There's the bar There's the kitchen Side by side
1: Yeah So, so you can imagine Going from these Michelin kitchens Yeah Or to these real Trend led kitchens To these Michelin ones Then I went to the Eagle For a week and Then I went to St John Bread and wine For the majority Of my career after that and uh, that you've gone from these really. I mean, just, I want to see what you've got to say about what's going on in the press uh, at the moment with, with how brutal the kitchens are because it's so frustrating for me because I've seen both sides. But it is like what was very interesting was going into this really holistic space where uh, my head chef literally would sit down with me and butcher a whole animal, yeah. you know, every few days. And get spend the time and energy like really like looking into my eyes and teaching me how to cook properly and how to care about a bit of meat. And like, I never got that in Michelin kitchens. Not once. That's
0: a good word. Care about the meat. I like yeah. that. Because I think it, it's, it, it's that thing, isn't it, that almost on one hand, we talk about in a backwards way that we want our animals, rightly so, to have a good life. But then equally that. Disrespect that happens quite a lot yeah. when when they've had that life and they've been butchered and they've been treated and cured and hung mm. and then just almost like a, a disregard. Oh, absolutely, what they've been through.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I was. Uh, it, that's why I couldn't have been luckier for for like you know ending up at St John. It was just like the, it is the most holistic experience yeah. in food I've I've ever had. You know, I I don't really remember anything bad about working there at all. I mean, I think as a chef you. Tend to go to work a little bit
0: scared every single day because you're
1: walking into a war zone. But it's like I uh,
0: what was the kitchen like there? Because I mean, at the end of the day, you know, glorious. It's a it's an amazing restaurant, mm. and you always imagine that that level of kitchen is always going to be tough. Mm. And it, it, of course, it's tough from a work point of view. But it's that the, the psychology behind it. I think the, the maybe ethos. one of the
1: first people who who I really saw taking that sort of like Larry angry kitchen out of its space you know like but the eagle was like that i think it's 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 different types of chefs isn't it you know i'm an angry chef by the way like i'm an absolute i make grown men cry like loads it's awful that that how that how this our industry has created like this kind of space where people are absolute lunatics and it's not it's not on i'm really pleased that people are being called out at the moment but yeah it's it's a fucking stressful environment as well isn't it and, yeah. and it it's i don't know how they manage to sort of keep it so calm i mean I'm not calm as a person, so it's kind of you know but, <laughs> but they they are yeah they both of them really are yeah. so and then you've got well, everyone who works under them are, you know it's i guess it's the, it's the
0: you create energy. that ethos don't you you, yeah. you you create that kind of that that state of mind i mean I've been fortunate that, that you know we've had greens for thirty one years and I've still got two chefs who've been with me for over 25 years bloody hell and then front of house i've got one person actually worked with us on the first day we opened in 1990 and she's still there and reese's my front of house manager has been there 27 years and it's proof that 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 situation works because we try in that same way i'm not saying there aren't times when people lose temper and kind of you know lose it but fundamentally the ethos behind our work is about saying let's actually give everybody the opportunity to succeed as much as we Absolutely. can. Absolutely.
1: And that's it. That's what I mean about the holistic side of it is when your investment, you're investing in like this little grain that's going to flourish and hopefully like look after you yeah. as the boss, the employer. And it's really important. You don't really get that that often anymore.
0: So when you, from there, when you were working with Ferguson, and, and obviously because I know you anyway, and because what you've said about when you are at lease, I'm assuming right the way through that, that you're still thinking, I want to do this for me mm. at some point. Yeah. You know, you were never going to be somebody who would follow a traditional path and go, well, I'm now sous chef, I'm now head chef, I'm now exec chef. That you would almost jump ship before that because your view was kind of, your vision was there always. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, well, I mean, I was broke for one. So I, I think my, my next vision came out of, uh, uh, you know, needing to do something interesting. You know, I think I got one of the things, because while I was doing all these studies at the same time, I was doing Leiths, which was, you know, nine until five. then I, then with a ton of coursework every single day. And I passed out for the first time I ever have in my entire life. And I haven't passed <laughs> out since. Yeah, uh, After one of these like trips to, to Billingsgate or something like that. And I got in and realized at that point, because I, I couldn't pay my rent. Then my landlord disappeared off the face of the earth. And I ended up having to squat in this house, which was completely bonkers as well in itself. And Caroline Woodgrave at Leiths ended up like finding me, picking me up. I was just like burst into tears. And she's like, What's going on? So I told her, and she paid me back for um the last term for, for wow. so I could finish it Leiths. And then I ended up with that sort of like real support from her. Which, what an amazing thing to do. It was amazing. She's like, pay it back when you can. Yeah. And uh it meant that I didn't have to go to work. Yeah. So good. All and it just meant that so I wasn't piercing because I was still piercing on the weekends. I didn't have to go to work. I could just focus on getting through this last uh, two months of school and I smashed it. Like, it was really great. And I think it was just, again, having that investment in someone. Yeah. She She really was a mentor for me and, you know, without her, I definitely would have had to flunk school. There was no way I could have carried yeah. on. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, that just to, I've only sort of explaining this to explain that I was really genuinely poor and genuinely squatting in a house and loving what I was doing at St. John and... Uh and all the like every, everything I was doing, but was trying to be a bit more dynamic about the whole idea and this girl who I it was also at St. John, but she was all she was also at the piercing studio years before. We decided to do a, a thing called um it was awful. Um I can't in fact I can't even tell you what it was. Tell
0: me. So like, you bad. can't you can't leave us hanging like that. I can't remember what it was um Where are we? What what year are we in now, kids? We're
1: about ninety no, 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 no no two thousand and two, I reckon.
0: And it was called Saucy Tarts. So this is coming around the time when I first met you. Yeah, okay, it, it right. was exactly
1: that time. In fact, okay. you might even know um, Abby. She she did a little bit of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff
0: as well. I'm so bad on names, kids. maybe. So go on, Saucy Tarts. Saucy
1: so- Tarts like, It was the worst name ever that we were like, we're now going to be a catering company. But the first job we did was something completely unique that I'd never seen before. So the, this gallery called us in and said, you know, we what we don't want to do is that sort of like warm white wine and 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 situation where everyone comes around and eats canapes. What yeah. can you do? So we just did a long table event. They were like, wow, look, this is our budget. But it went over our budget. So, so it got really confusing with with how, who was going to get paid and how. So we just said, look, if anyone wants to pay at the end, pay us. Yeah. So it kind of was our very first sort of supper club or like, it was probably more restaurant than a supper club. But it was like, you know, you paid for what you wanted. It was an art gallery. It was an event. And then they asked us back
0: like a week later to do exactly the same thing. Did you thing. did people pay enough money to make it worth your while? Never own? got paid. I've <laughs> never been paid from a
1: pop-up. Actually, that's not true. I have I have <laughs> once literally never been paid. I, I always put and putting in a ton of energy. But what it did mean was that people were suddenly watching us and watching us doing something really unique. Yeah. Because it was on Brick Lane and it was just a vibe. Like it was all all these cool creative people. It was an amazing art gallery. And yeah, it was really fun. And then I ended up Also decided from that thing, the catering stuff. We ended up doing. We were cooking people like Elton John, and David Furnish employed us.
0: It's funny. I I say it very often when when we do grilling. When people tell their story, we all jump over kind of those little key moments. Those sort of you know those, those moments that really sort of shape your life. You've just done a prime example of it. They go, yeah, we saw this did this long table event, didn't really get paid. They end up cooking for Elton John. You go, whoa, 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 hang on, <laughs> <laughs> hang on. There's a big leap here from kind of like you know doing an event at a gallery, you didn't get paid for, to cooking for Elton John. Was that about exposure? No, I guess. That... Well, I mean, in terms of in terms of how you got there, how you end up doing that. Well, I
1: think it happened for all the same things because they'd seen us and heard about us. We were in the papers all the time right. for this event because it was that cool. So then people wanted to come to it. So I think that how yeah so pe- people would just see what was going on and just want yeah. to work with us. It's kind of that sort of thing. I'm sure you get it as well. Yeah. It's kind of the beginnings of that, but it was also the beginnings of like probably the most painful side of my life, which is I'm really like find it hard to be faithful to one thing. Okay. In in uh, in my career. Yeah. Um. In that I'm just always constantly moving. Like I can't really. I mean, I've got my first permanent sites coming and. Yeah. It's actually that, like that, scares the life out of me more than anything. Right, I'm really terrified to have a real. Is it business. commitment
0: that? Might is it be? a bit of that? Do you think? You
1: think about forty-one and I
0: don't, don't have a boyfriend. commitment issues. Yeah. Do you think I've got an issue. Maybe. But 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 I, you know I do wonder. You know that that whole thing. I sometimes feel that someone like you, who is is so incredibly creative, you're almost scared of standing still. Think right, if I continue with this and it's successful, will that hamper all these millions of other ideas? That are there. And was that happening, do you think, when you were doing saucy tarts?
1: Do you know that, that, like that, then that exposes one of my super skills, which is the fact that I am like a machine who can come up with a million brilliant ideas and actually make and do them all. Yeah. So I think that that's, I mean, I can't do them all, but it's kind of, you know, I'm good at shaking out the great ones and the good ones. And then that's coming back to something years later and going, you know, I was with Richard Turner on the weekend and we're thinking about doing this Korean barbecue thing. We've been talking about it for years. Yeah. We can finally facilitate it. But you know, it's it's probably one of the best ideas that I've had. Yeah, with as a collaborative thing. I don't know. Like, I think having I'm quite I'm quite quite good at ha- being able to sort of manage all of that stuff that sort of like thoughts when people a lot of people be scared of that, and most ADHD people don't are unable to access those and be able to get one thing and fulfill it. You know. Yeah. Whereas I seem to be able to do that. And I can, do it, I can do that with a lot of people. Like, I, you know, I, the criticisms I hear about me are, you do too much, you need to stop. And I'm like, but why? Because I'm doing them all really well. And yeah. like, if I was doing them badly, fine. But actually, sorry, I don't like it's
0: actually hard. Let's talk, I was going to talk about your ADHD in the in the sort of the second half, but I think I want to set it up now because I think, you know, we're, we're going down that route where, where we're doing that. So tell us about how you finally got diagnosed because you're in your 30s until you until you got diagnosed. Hmm. What made the diagnosis suddenly come out
1: I don't know I, I've, everyone's called me ADHD my whole entire life so it was it was no to to go in and get an official diagnosis kind of was just a ticking time bomb I had it had to happen but I sit in a space I have another condition my father was manic depressive and um I have a condition which sort of sits very near that it's not it was just like it was it was called an acute biological anxiety which meant that it was an inherent anxiety that wasn't to do with the cognitive issues like i my anxiety was installed in a way and it never came out in a way that most people's did so i don't have panic attacks right i have a thing where i can literally melt into the ground and i can't even compute or wake up or it goes really physical so my tongue would swell up wow. and like really yeah came out probably when i was at leith's it was okay it was, so i when i when i was at leith's i got put on uh medication for that but then there was this still th- this still this thing that was this like constant motor driven like thing that I just couldn't quite put my fingers on, and then just one day I broke up with a, a boyfriend, kind of like got in this weird manic episode where I was absolutely convinced I had um, bipolar. I was convinced. I went wow. to I went to a doctor uh, to a psychiatrist to say I think I got bipolar, and she was just like, "I'm watching you. You, you are so ADHD. So has anyone ever asked if you've been ADHD?" And so I said, yes, everyone says I am. Um, and she's like, no, honestly, it's that. And you've got a thing which sort of sits on the end of it. And I've just found out, I've just been re-diagnosed recently. And it's I've got a thing called cyclothermia,
0: which, is... which means
1: that I don't have the ability to not spin off out into the like, ether. So if I am if I get overexcited, I'm like, Rrr. you know, you completely can lose me. And it's really productive sometimes because it means in kitchens, yeah. I'm so good, but then it also means that I, I go to bed. And I'm like, it's like I'm on drugs, you know, I'm really manically high, bouncing off the walls, can't close my brain down, then I get, get obsessive thoughts and things. But then without the ADHD, I couldn't do my job. It's really odd. It's like, no, I it's really not, value
0: I, 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 I do find, I, I find that's always an interesting thing. It's funny, we, we had someone done Sunday brunch a while ago, he said that in years to come we won't see these things as being disabilities or deficiencies. They'll just be different. Mm. And I think that's certainly, you know, what you're saying, mm. that on one hand you kind of go, I-, I guess there's maybe a little bit of solace in having that diagnosis, mm. but equally from your point of view, recognizing, yeah, but without it, I'm not me. Mm. And the the good sides, if you like, of your ADHD are what make you the creative buoyancy that you that you have
1: absolutely it's my spark i and i you know when i took medication for adhd i did it didn't suit me it, it sort of dulled my sparkle and i just really so i actually really like living with it unfortunately it does have its bad moments which is get, get if you go into that spiral it's not fun in that
0: place but do you have trigger points now do you do you oh, can you control Never mind do you i
1: mean i'm, I'm now, i now have new medication to control it i think that, so i think it's like yeah i can but it's yeah. maybe not you know, for for years, everybody was like, you know, do some. Even even my therapist is like, you know, we're going to get you into that mindful meditation place where we're going to be able to take you out of it. I'm like, good luck with that, because <laughs> it's just I can meditate and when I want to, yeah, but not when I'm at peak heightened. At like, you know. Yeah. and it is like it's like being on drugs. It's really really full on.
0: Right, well listen I want to I want to get into that, that that great growth in your career the, the whole thing about you know Gizzy the brand and, and your book writing and the, the the person that you've become since I sort of first met you but we have a a, a little break so we we do this thing every week where we, where we have a BBQ and a we have, I guess, the same five questions yep. about barbecues and outdoor cooking so first one do you have a favorite barbecuing memory
1: ooh do you know what i do but it's a spoiled one after I finished catering school, uh, I sort of worked behind the scenes on a lot of TV shows, but I also got to write a lot of big celebrity books. I worked with, well, not actually, I'd say who we worked with. But, it, you know, I one of the books I got to do was go to America and actually work on a barbecuing book, wow. which was incredible. and It was such a great experience. And it was way before we knew about it here. I'm going to so say, this must have been 20 years ago as well, getting your barbecue and making it into a smoker. Yeah. And, and a, and a smoker oven. So it's like, Taking out huge like ribs of beef or like actual oh god like whole whole turkeys and things like that, and learning about brining and uh that the, the, the very specific type of butchery and obviously he smoking on a on a much lower temperature for a longer longer time yeah. and it was just really it was a it was a really spoiling time, but yeah, some of those things just almost from the photography perspective, we were in vineyards, and it was so stunning
0: there's some, there's something beautiful and I know you're a big fan of it as well, about kind of anything that's cooked slowly, particularly meat is just, it's the greatest way to cook meat for me. And I think, you it's know, barbecues really. are just prime for it, that low and slow. And okay, it, as soon as you mentioned it, you get that, smell of mesquite that just comes oh. into your brain so, and, oh, really. and that incredible delight at that smell of smoke and you want your clothes to smell mm. of it you want your whole body to smell of it it's in your, it's in the it's in your fingerprints it's everything yeah. i love it okay right next question um favorite season for barbecuing
1: season is in time uh, of year
0: yeah
1: <sighs> i don't know cuz i can eat like like low uh, smoke roasted food in yeah i could eat that at christmas yeah um Oh God, I, probably, probably like late spring actually, when the summer f- summer food's starting to come in, but you've still got really beautiful like um, lambs and and mutton actually because it's mutton season as well coming out. So I kind of like the idea of doing that, but then actually, but then again, <laughs> maybe like a real quick barbecue with like a leg of lamb and and then doing like a creek salad and something like that for me it's just yeah. so simple
0: I, i've i've got more and more into kind of like into the later part of the year like or same as with 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 if you like traditional cooking i love kind of autumn and winter so much because i, I love all those big flavors and i like that Low and slow, and I yeah. like rich sauces.
1: Yeah, me too. The one that was the thing that this book taught me. Um, they we, they cook a fillet on the barbecue, a whole like chateau uh beyond, Yeah, and then do a peppercorn sauce. Yeah. and you're cooking using the 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 grill as an actual hob as well. Which yeah, I just, you know you can you can actually really, especially those rubber barbecues, can you you can use them for everything. Just having them, the dome, it's just like it's all you need.
0: And 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 I think that's the thing. I think that when you when you realize that your barbecue is actually the greatest oven that you're ever going to have I mean, it's true it changes the whole way that you think about it rather than going right where's the sausages where's the burgers you I go know. i'm never going to cook them on that you know what i yeah. want to like a yeah. leg of
1: lamb on here. yeah Just exactly let it sit ah oh, yeah
0: <sighs> okay, right, wife's next wife's question. Right. I know.
1: I'm very <laughs> hungover. My breakfast didn't what, arrive. So,
0: so because <laughs> of the way you are, is there anything that's massively ambitious that you've ever cooked on a barbecue? Or maybe even something that you wish you had cooked on a barbecue?
1: I've cooked everything on a barbecue, to be honest. Yeah. I, don't, I, I mean, even I've cooked faggots on a barbecue. I've cooked... Kidneys, I've cooked, made lovely little kebabs, you know, like you get in the o I can never say this word, it's probably gonna say it terribly. Oko kebbashi restaurants, the, the Turkish restaurants. Yeah, yeah. 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 Runs, yeah. I can never say it. I've got it completely wrong, sorry. Where you get wrap the lamb fat with the lamb liver with the, yeah. with the kidneys and just salt and pepper and just getting that so that the fat goes really crispy and caramelized. And you still get a nice pink middle for your, for your offal I mean that's, that's nice
0: that's a really nice
1: I love doing stuff like that well, yeah. actually even even when I was in Greece one year, um I got to talk to how they do it for their um easter the the greek orthodox easter they they fill a chop of all of the offal yeah and wrap it in the belly of the lamb uh-huh. and then tie it with all the caul, cool, which is a type of fat wow. which runs around uh, the intes Your well an animal's intestines, yeah, which has a load of fat. And making these sort of like giant sausages that are just slow roasted and they're still pink in the middle. They're absolutely beautiful. Wow. So I, I don't know. There's nothing. And like I said, I've done a whole turkey, I've done a roast dinner. Like I think I've done pretty much everything. There's nothing.
0: Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it, and that's the thing. I think once you get into that mindset with it, then you, like I say, you'll never go back to your burgers mm. and sausages unless it's kind of like, you know, you've just got some mates around you on a few beers and a, and, and a burger. And have you got one really brilliant tip for barbecuing?
1: Just, I think it would be to – a lot of people don't realise that if you keep your thermometer on, that's how it works. It's just by yeah. looking at a thermometer. That lid's on with the thermometer and keeping the air running through a very, very, very sort of – I can't remember the technical term for this. But it's like when you – you only need a tiny gap yeah. of air going in and that's going to keep it going.
0: Yeah, so you like keeps the so oxygen out. coming in, so you're keeping it moist.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. then it, keep, it keeps the – but also, it keeps the smoking. Yeah, uh, it means you can cook on there for a long time. Yeah, it, it sort of like sustains the heat. If you pull pull the, the um, coals up to the side, it means it will like in a circle and put the old meat in the middle. It will sustain that heat for ages. Yeah,
0: and that that indirect cooking is just mm. the, the best way. Yeah, I have I have that. Cook anything on indirect, he yep. I think is the one. <laughs> all right. Well, we we have uh, our barbecue challenge where you have forty five seconds to cook a dish for me. You've got to sell it to me. You've got to sell it as if you're you're on a chat line, basically. Oh. So you get um, any cut of meat, fish or veggies. You need to do some yeah. kind of um, marinade or rub and you need a side dish for it. So you can have a little think on it because um, before you do that, I just want everybody who's listening um, to know about a special offer we've got for you at weber.com forward slash grilling. If you want to improve your skills on the barbecue, Weber are offering you a discount to attend their Grill Academy where you can learn to impress your friends big time with your barbecuing expertise. The guys and girls that do it are off the scale. Uh, Loads of different courses available to suit your standard and your needs. And the offer is valid for Grill Academies in the UK. Enter the code GRILLING21, that's GRILLING21, at weber.com, and you get £50 off when you book two tickets on a course. All the information is at weber.com forward slash grilling. Okay, so just a reminder, your barbecue challenge is you have 45 seconds You've got to tell oh, me what the shit. dish is. You've got to describe it beautifully. Are you ready? Okay, I think so. Okay, time starts
1: now. So I am going to do some uh, proper big fat beef ribs. And um, I'm going to take them. God, I'm not very fast. <laughs> um, so have had 12 gonna, seconds already. Don't! Um, <laughs> and then I'm going to cover them just with salt and pepper. That's, that's my rub. That's all I want. Okay. And I'm going to brown them off. And then I'm going to reduce the heat down to about, uh, I'm going to say about one sixty, one twenty for about seven or eight hours. Nice. And then it's going to be really nice. 15 at, seconds. What are serving it with? Really nice and gooey. Then I'm going to serve it with a proper barbecue sauce with some demi-glace, which is like a reduced uh, stock with wine and stuff like that, but then also some vinegar, sugar, spices like cumin, coriander, uh, smoked paprika. Seconds. I'll let you finish. What's my side and, dish? And... Um, Wait, 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 wait. Um, I've had one more thing so far. It's gone. Loads of butter in at the end, or, or beef oh, uh, nice. or beef dripping on that sauce. A bit of ketchup actually goes very nicely in there. And you just reduce that down until it becomes a lovely, bubbly, dark brown barbecue sauce. On the side, I want potatoes, barbecued uh, little baby potatoes. Lovely. As a salad. You, then you break them all up and you put um, sour cream, uh, chives, bacon, uh, some broken up eggs, and spring onions as well
0: i love that one minute 22 seconds that was that's the longest anybody has has, has ever taken to do it was worth it because it does actually actually sound completely delicious really 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 delicious okay so do you do you barbecue i mean you've sort of said how much you love it so do you know do you get chance to do it much these days? i do
1: i do um because i like you said it's like i see it as an extension of my house i'm really lucky i live in a muse uh with like a wet like a two-floored warehouse yeah and they're they're all units they're like live works but they're really stunning ones and we all have this great community in this muse we live in and my my, like my barbecue's right outside my house i've also got one of those sort of outdoor pizza grills uh, pizza cookers uh wood fire ones and so it just means that i can treat those two things as you know extra part and they're so easy to put on now yeah so it's not even yeah, it's not even too technical not it, to use It's it. funny
0: as well, isn't it, how we, we like to be outside so much mm. more. And I think even prior to kind of lockdown and COVID yeah. and pandemic, I think that that whole thing about you'll sit in a cafe that's on a busy street with buses going past. Yeah. And I think from a cooking point of view, it's no longer the domain of, oh, it's a sunny day, I'll get the barbecue yeah, no, It just totally. feels like, oh, if I can get outside. Exactly. Get outside.
1: But but also it's like, so even even for me, it's like, a, it's a, it is. Something to do with the palate as well. Like I want that smoke on the back of some something. Yes. So if I'm making a chili con carne, for example, yeah. I'll do that in the barbecue with the lid on. Because I want that sort of mesquite sort yeah. of flavour in it. Like I want I want that tang of smoke that's only really authentic if you get I mean what I would have done before maybe is get like yeah. some smoked bacon or something to run through it. Or yeah. you get and then you got your smoked chilies and stuff, but to actually get the real smoke flavour. Yeah. It's it's just delicious. and,
0: and that smell as things cook with smoke infusing into it mm. is just so heavenly
1: it really is i mean also i, I want to be pushing vegetables more as well and you know it's such a nice way to cook with veg yeah you know one of the other things i was, I was thinking about doing was more like just um you know the beautiful onions the kakots
0: yeah
1: roasted on a hot barbecue but then also like making a proper romesco sauce with the peppers and tomatoes and yeah that's I I was me. I think about
0: romesco sauces yesterday.
1: Yeah, that's is so amazing. delicious. Yeah, It's a weird thing. To so, think. Good. Yeah, so good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so the, I suppose the big change for you, um, in, as far as I'm concerned, is that you suddenly became a brand, almost not through desire, because you, you know you, you 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 have a striking look. But when you sort of came to prominence, people like the fact you—you know—you yeah. you you always look really really stunning. Yeah. And I know it kind of got your attention, but knowing you, it wasn't something that you particularly wanted or liked yeah. when it happened, was
1: it? I mean, it's funny. Like last night, we were watching football with all my mates, and all my mates look like me. We're all into the sixties, yeah. and well, we're into like an alternative like life. And so, for me, the look was about music and not about a cookery image but some people sort of saw it as the sort of perfect housewives yeah look but i was just like for me i'm an ex-punk psychobilly who had got into sort of like 60s garage scene and it was just what we all look like all my mates look like me yeah yeah and then obviously a lot of you could if some people saw it as me trying to be a domestic goddess which was really frustrating because i was trying desperately to show technique what i've always wanted to put out if you ask me what my food is I'd say modern classics, but it's technical modern classics. Yeah. I want to over egg the pudding. I want people to be, I don't, I want to be making people to push themselves and their skills. And I think for me, the idea that I was put into the same bracket as somebody who was a home cook was very, very frustrating because I worked my bloody ass off and, and have done as good as the next lad. It was really misogynistic, actually. And it was just so fat, I found the whole thing very frustrating. But then, fair enough, you know, like most people don't know. Like of the weird world that I live in, like and yeah. have mates who look like this and yeah. <laughs> walk around like it all the time. So, anyway, it was fine. Like I did, I did actually though do a, I chopped my hair off and in, in in actually I remember. by and just being like this is I'm done now. Yeah. And then I then I chopped my hair off and I went into business. Like as a, a very big statement because I was just like I can't like I needed to be recognised by people for the for being a chef, yeah. rather than being a a cookery writer or or a home cook. Because I've still, all the way through this, by the way, I've been doing pop-up, huge, some of the biggest pop-up restaurants in in, in the world, actually. So, you know, I've been, I just felt like I needed to get the right notoriety, if that made sense. Yeah, Huge mistake that was. I got myself into a huge amount of debt. And, um, <laughs> um, and being an influencer is much better for you. <laughs> um,
0: no, you don't really think I that. I don't
1: think that. Um <laughs> No, um, I got such satisfaction. But did, but did it work?
0: Because because when you did that, and I I I love that, the fact, you know, you said you cut your hair off and went into business. Did you feel if I don't cut my hair off, if I don't change this look, if I stop being known for my looks, until I do that, I'm not going to be taken seriously? I
1: think there is definitely an element of that. I mean, I was also bored shitless of it. I'd had it for sort of like 15 years. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I definitely, definitely was a statement for sure. And did it and managed it. and opened a very big business at the, about four years ago, which was open to huge credit, but which is well, I, I had to walk out about. I hate, so I hate really talking about it. But it was it was Main Street Market. Okay, it was the best thing I ever did. You yeah, know? I really to this day, it's it's the most proud of myself I've ever been. We saw a right. market which was had like five food spaces. Um, there was a uh, a deli, uh, a coffee roastery, the main kitchen which was like this open kitchen. There was uh dining rooms and. There's smokery outside. Yeah. And it was just, it was fucking great. It was heaving. The whole thing was absolutely round. Yeah. The food was stunning. And uh, so I'm very sad that that, that didn't work out. Um, Can
0: I ask you why? I mean, if... if
1: I'm, I just I mean, I'm probably, I'm allowed to say, but I think I'm dutifully respectful to both parties. I don't think I should. Okay.
0: Because it is, I mean, it is still an amazing space. It's an amazing space. You know, my daughter worked there. Did she? Yeah. When she was at uni. I did. Yeah, okay. oh, well, you no, know, because it's
1: heartbreak. That's yeah. like what the biggest heartbreak of my life was that that space. It really, I was so broken after that. Yeah, but then went on to open up Filth, which with my friend Rosemary Ferguson. Which uh, most chefs I speak to have had so many failures as well. Yeah, I've, I've had I've had like three major failures, yeah. and I've got like two major successes now. And I'm really, I think you just got to win some to lose some. It is a bit like that, it really, but but for yeah. they're heartbreaking every time if yeah. it doesn't work out. We always look. We always applaud people's successes. We never really look at people, the stuff yeah. that
0: people have done. But I do think they shape you. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I, I do think you learn more from the failures than you do from mm. the successes. Yeah. You know, I, I it, it's it's a horrible experience, and it takes a lot to kind of pick yourself up and go right. Okay, we're going again. But it's what you've got to do.
1: I felt like that at the at the beginning of lockdown because you know I, I opened up the nightery, which was in. Garden. Let's talk
0: about Phil before you jump on okay, that because yeah. that because that is fundamentally your. Veggie junk food, yeah, which now is sort of quite commonplace. Yeah. But when you did it, you were pretty much but at the cutting above. edge of that, really.
1: I mean, we started about seven years ago, yeah, and could see what was going on. I mean, like I, again, I'm an agriculture nerd. I have been for years, and I, yeah. could, I, I see what's going on around the world because I love the environmental issues, but also because I really am into soil, and um, I could just feel. I I was starting to hear the stuff about veganism being a real critical plant-based eating being the most critical thing that we could do to help save the planet. I was like, we were starting to see the statistics coming out about uh, how cows were being bred and how half of this this, uh, food in the whole world was actually being bred to feed these animals. I mean, all this stuff was really shocking. So I wanted to create a burger that was for meat eaters to actually eat that would be a kind of shocking but interesting experience and so i sort of broke down all the ideas of what the umami tang is that you get from eating meat this is before anybody had done anything by the way i think impossible burger might have been out but they were doing something very different because they. Yeah. Want, i didn't want to create a fake meat burger yeah
0: you want to create a burger that was fantastic and had yeah. no meat in it yeah exactly yeah. I, i'm all for that premise yeah
1: no same i think oh, we, i still think we've created one of the best products in the world but yeah. um Business is a nightmare. It's really hard. It took us a long time to get to where we got to. And then we've had to, we've been waiting for three years for a deal that's just not going to happen. Do you not think? I don't think so. And I just sort of feel a bit like despondent by it now. Right. And I feel like in that time we've missed our our moment. Yeah. Anyway, maybe maybe not. It's still great. I just still still haven't tasted anyone else's that's sort of better. So I don't know. I just really, I've kind of have lost the love a bit. Maybe it'll come back to me. And then I opened, uh, God, what have I been doing in the last few years? Um, the Nightery is, again, another one of my biggest successes, yeah. but again, ended very badly. <laughs> but only because of COVID, you know. Okay. So I got asked to take over and, like, couldn't believe to be asked to take over one of the best, biggest, sort of, like, most notorious restaurants in London, which was Asia to Cuba in the St. Martins Lane Hotel. What well, starts off to be a six-month pop-up, and we, even before we would actually opened, we were like, "No, this is going to be permanent—a permanent, a permanent yeah. thing." Then they opened up more investment, and it was really terrifying for me because it, I wanted to do food that was actually going to get—it was going—I knew that it would get critics in, yeah. Because I—I've be up my level. I was like, yeah. "Fuck this! I've got yeah. this amazing executive chef to share the yeah. responsibility with. He's—he's he's now. Let's just really go in." And I yeah. did all the creative. Probably the only restaurant I've not officially done the pass on, although I was sat like sat on the pass. Right. Okay. Um, because I really wanted to let them do that what they did really well, which was run that run yeah. that kitchen. And we absolutely created some of the most stunning food. I was so proud of
0: it. Um I remember what I remember reading about you kind of land that gate thinking, wow, that is yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know, still to this day it's a uh, I kind mean of like, it's still wait,
1: I can't believe it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, we were open for five weeks. Yeah. These five weeks it was so perfectly sort of synchronic like everything went so well but then the people were like diminishing yeah uh, day by day and then you' on the last week you know you'd gone from having 300 covers um a day to like 80 to yeah. 40 and we're like where yeah. is everyone yeah so we closed we closed on the Thursday and bloody Corin gave us a five star review on the on the f- Saturday and I was just like what <laughs> I've been amazing and wow. like so and then we got loads. I mean, I got two two big five-star reviews, and everyone else was just like so yeah. good about it. Like, I've had something i never in a million years thought I wanted or wanted or would would be able to achieve. Yeah. And um, I'm so happy it happened. But you know, you're saying when you, you've got to pick yourself up you after that, I by the end of the year last year,
0: I was so beat. But now, mm. but now you've gone pizzas Jeez. with Pro Green, which is great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can see why people tell me I should only do one thing. <laughs> now, I do need to chat. Um, no, Stephen and I are best mates. He really is my best mate. You know, like he comes to set for Christmas with my family, and you know, I'm now godmother to his child. And but he is—he uh, got stuck in, in lockdown. In they, he was taking his girlfriend to um, her dad to get him sorted pre-lockdown, and then they got locked down in 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 uh, Tangier. Which was an absolute nightmare for him. He was just like, don't. And he had to be gone for three months. We all knew at that stage it was probably yeah. three months. So he was like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to learn how to cook. Teach me how to cook. So he was being a pain in the ass. I'm actually quite shy. I don't like doing talking to camera social media things. He loves it. Yeah, He's off on it the whole time. And then basically we, cry- we started digging the spaghetti bolognese, which went from him running around looking for yeah. ingredients all the way through to me like telling him exactly how to make this dish. And then everyone was able to follow and watch because it was we'd put it on um the Instagram stories. And then decided to do one on on the Monday. And then we kind of created this series called Giz and Green's Monday Night Fake yeah. Away, which went so well. Like we did a Big Mac. And I think every cause you couldn't get any food at this stage. Yeah. Like everything, all the restaurants were closed for three months. Yeah. So we took like all of your big main high street takeaways and actually just re- I really swatted each of the, the dishes like yeah. really took them to pieces uh rebuilt them and then I think came up with a pretty good spot-on version of yeah, yeah. almost everything Now, some things you couldn't get quite right but one of the things we did was uh sort of your big 1990s Americana pizza yeah. style pizzas which aren't quite they're not proper pizzas but we all love them especially yeah. when we're hungover and uh <laughs> and actually sort of like reinvent that and I am a dough nerd. So have been working on this like really good rye uh sourdough, three-day-aged sourdough. Anyway, th- there was, it was such success. We took, I, we took them to what was going to be a dark kitchen, yeah. but ended up being a restaurant. We sold like 25,000 pizzas in three months. And now we've got these four sites. So we've got one in uh, Bethnal Green, which is a ta- like takeaway uh, delivery site, one in Clapham, one in Olympia. I are just about to open in Central London as a restaurant, uh, on top of John Lewis.
0: It's funny because you said earlier on that it terrifies you. And it's funny watching your body language, mm. even talking about it, then yeah, you yeah. you're kind of almost sort of going into your shell yeah. a little bit. No, I really it, it, is there is there this sort of level of the fact that, you know, this is this this feels like there's a there's a commitment that, you know, the 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 wild side of you wanting to yeah. do a million things, and of course you still want to do that, but you think this feels like...
1: I mean, yeah, it's it's sort of something that was a bit of a laugh and now we've got a huge business and I think it's really successful. People are loving the product. Yeah. It's hard work though, like taking a, a restaurant product at, which is like a pizza yeah. and doing it for delivery. It's, it's one of the most famous deliveries, isn't it, pizza? Yeah. But it's one of the hardest to get right, particularly with the ingredients we're using, which are, you know, what we're creating is something like a I a mean, like, well, Domino's or Pizza Hut pizza that, we're selling for the same price, yeah, the same weight, but everything in there is high quality ingredients, you yeah. know? So we've got this, you know, all of our flours are, are organic. Every, in fact, everything's organic, yeah. But getting the the organic sort of uh, latte cheese, it comes with the same problems. It comes, you get that straight out of a yeah. hot pizza oven. You've got five ten minutes on it. Yeah, you put that on inside a, a sweaty box. So you know, just little scientific bits like that of slipping me up. Daily, Yes. And it's just like, there's always a problem.
0: You're never going to be the kind of person that's going to step away from it. That's the thing. Oh, isn't. God, you've no. got to, You've got to be 100% in control. Yeah. And you won't compromise, no, which is, you know, what's all one of the skills. But tell you so-
1: last thing I'm up to. I'm just, at the moment, I'm uh, opening a big business in Margate uh-huh. um, with Carl uh, Barat from the Libertines.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And we're doing a, a sort of big very Margate style cafe. Uh, there's going to be a night, nightclub and things like that. It's going to be really, nice. really fun. So,
0: when does it. that happen? I
1: should be having it in about four
0: weeks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could do that. I mean, you sort of say, oh, yeah, it'll be, be like, you know, six, seven months or four weeks.
1: No, was, we've been working on it for a while. <laughs>
0: um... well, 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 in fact, Margate might be kind of quite a good thing because the other thing that we get all of our guests to do is we want your little secret place to go. It can be a restaurant, but most people, I sort of try and push them towards, like it might be a deli, it might be a coffee shop, it might be a sandwich shop, it might be a greasy spoon. Mm. It could be anywhere in the world, but it's somewhere that, you know, if you know you're going to be in Barnsley, mm. you know that such and such a cafe is a place to go. Where are you taking us to, Giz?
1: To be honest with you, I'm going there for lunch, so if you want to come oh, with me, I'll right, take so you right go away. On, where are we going? <laughs> it's a cafe called CNA uh, Cafe, and it's a Malaysian CNR Cafe, sorry, it's a Malaysian cafe in just off Chinatown, and it is. We're going there. We're going to get some roti chennai,
0: yeah. which are
1: the really beautiful, like lovely, like almost like croissant bread, um, to dip into curry sauce, and then we're going to get it's a wonton ho, which is uh, this it looks like sick on a plate, but uh-huh. it's most delicious nice. thing you'll ever have. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a, a set. You get like the really hot wok fried noodles. Yeah. As the base, and they pour over this thickened chicken stock that's been cooked with loads of fresh shellfish and uh, pork and like fish balls and things like that. Some like bak choy and things. And then you add on these pickled chilies, and it's so good, but it's it's not the best looking dish. And then laksa, maybe.
0: Nice, Alexa. That's nice. That sounds brilliant. It's I. I, I feel like I've only I've only touched the surface. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's always obviously seeing. Like I say, you know, we've known each other for a long time, and you know, I follow your career intensely. You know, we've missed <laughs> many things. We've not talked about how you create recipes. We've not talked about the deal that you did with Leon. And I remember texting you because the because uh, the satay that you did at Leon was absolutely fantastic. Plus all of the books that you've written. Plus all the telly shows that you've done. Plus your Unbounding energy, but as ever, it is a joy to see you, and I constantly raise my hat to you because oh. you never ever stop and it's a joy thank to you. See
1: you do you know what you're the one person I always get to see at least once a year yeah which i which I always find very exciting like. <laughs> <laughs> Always at some weird place. Always. Somewhere weird.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll either see you open of an art gallery or yeah. I'll bump into you in some weird environment. We don't yeah. quite know why either of us are there. Yeah, I, I get that. Always <laughs> lovely to see you. All right, Don. Thank you so you. much for coming on. Cheers. Thanks so much to Gizzy for joining us on Grilling. She's always got loads to say, she's always got a good opinion, and she's always a really good laugh as well. Now, hopefully, we've given you a few ideas as to what's possible in the kitchen and on a Weber barbecue. Head to Weber.com for plenty more recipe ideas, from racks of lamb to your more traditional kebabs and burgers. And don't forget, check out that £50 discount to their grill academies at Weber.com forward slash grilling. Do review, rate and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and tell your friends about us too, particularly if you've liked it. We'll be back next week with rapper turned chef Big Zoo. Grilling was brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues and is an off-script production produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown.